fleek, as they say. I love you, baby. I love you with all my heart. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. You ready for the word today? All right. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open with me to the book of Luke chapter 6. And this morning, I'm excited to be able to speak to you on marriage. And I can't think of a better message to speak on than on Valentine's Day. And as my wife mentioned, I do realize there are many singles here this morning. So this morning, if you're single, keep pressing in with the Lord. Amen. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But take copious notes and really uh, use this as a class today. Because I believe that unless you're called to be single, which I don't know if you have that calling, eventually you will be married. For some of you, eventually you'll be married. And we're praying for you this morning. Amen. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, when you have it, say amen. All right, these are the words of Christ. It says this, it says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? He said, Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Someone say, on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house, but he could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who had heard and did nothing is like a man who built his house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Before you're seated, look at your neighbor and ask him, are you on the rock or are you on the rocks? You may be seated this morning. What a good crowd this morning. One day a boy and a girl were playing outside with sticks and they pretended they were pirates with long pointed swords. All was going well until Billy got a little too close and a little too excited and actually hit Jenny on the arm. It stung very sharply and Jenny began to cry. Billy knew he was in trouble and he told Jenny, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it was an accident. Jenny stopped crying and said, okay, don't worry. I promise I won't tell. Billy felt a sigh of relief, and they played together for a few more moments until their mom called them in for lunch. She, after they ate, she gave them some ice cream and some cookies, but Billy, he received an extra cookie. And Jenny immediately said, no fair. Billy has an extra cookie. And then the mom said, yes, that's because Billy picked up his toys this morning and you did not. Still upset over having one less cookie, Jenny blurted out, Billy hit me on the arm with a stick outside and it still hurts. Billy looked at Jenny with disbelief because he had believed his sister's promise. But Jenny's vow was only as good as long as things were going her way. In marriage, we learn that 
Things are not always going to go our way. In life, we learn that things are not always going to go our way. And that's why I believe this scripture is so important when we talk about marriage because it's important to have a strong foundation. It's, an or, it's, it's important not only personally, but as a family to build our family and build our house on the rock. Why have so many marriages today fallen so short? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that many people are struggling in marriage or failing in marriage? Why is that happening? You know, I really believe that many people are struggling in their marriage because they take marriage to be a conditional thing. And often, instead of it being unconditional love, it's conditional love. Often it's based on what they see. I think it's sad that many people today, I might even say that in the church, many Christians today take the cues from marriage from the culture. Instead of looking at spiritual leadership when it comes to marriage, many times they take their cues from culture. I want to give you some examples of marriages from culture. Britney Spears and Jason Alexander, their marriage lasted a whopping nine days. San Diego native Mario Lopez and Ali Landry were married in April of 2004. Two weeks later, the marriage was annulled. Jennifer Lopez has been married three times. With one marriage lasting six months, and her second marriage lasting 11 months. She did a little bit better the second time, didn't she? Kim Kardashian. You say, Pastor, why are you talking about celebrities? Because they're public figures. And I believe that if you're a celebrity, you have a responsibility to the next generation. Kim Kardashian, her first marriage cost $10 million. It was viewed by 4 million people on television, and it lasted 72 days. So let's be honest about marriage and let's be honest about what's out there. Most celebrity romances, which are constantly in our faces through TV and social media, and not only in our faces, but they're in the faces of our children, most of those romances are failing. Most of those marriages are no longer making it. And what's the backlash? What is it that we have to deal with in the church today as a result of their poor exampleship, the backlash is, is that we have marriages with unholy foundations, unreasonable expectations, and unsuccessful results. When you look at the statistics of marriage, you will find that 50% of marriages in America are failing. But how many know that even though those statistics are high, your marriage doesn't have to be a statistic? I'll say it again. Even though those statistics are high, your marriage doesn't have to be a statistic. Those statistics don't have to apply to you. I believe that we serve a God where all things are possible. And no matter how you got together, or no matter how you came into the house of the Lord, or no matter what your marriage is going through right now in the season that you're in, we serve a God of miracles. We serve a God of restoration. We serve a God that can make the best out of your situation. But we must believe. 
See, what am I saying to you this morning about marriage is that things can change. We can have successful marriages, and we can have successful marriages now, but we can also have successful marriages in the future. You don't have to be a statistic because in the house of the Lord, we have many examples of marriages that are doing well. When I think of a marriage that's doing well, I can't help but to think of my pastors, Pastor Sonny and Julie Argonzoni, who real soon will be celebrating 50 years of marriage. 50 years. You tell people that they've been married 50 years and they almost have a heart attack. In fact, even in my generation, if I tell people that I've been married to my wife 20 years, they almost have a heart attack. It's heartbreaking, friends, but here's the good news is that you can have a marriage that can make it when you put your trust in God and you build your house on the rock of Jesus Christ. See, if our marriages are going to make it, I want to tell you, we don't need a secular view of marriage. We need a biblical view of marriage. We need to view marriage not through the culture. We need to view marriage through the Bible. When counseling couples, there are three important questions that we often ask. Number one, when we're counseling a couple, we say, do you believe in God? Are you a Christian? Many times they say, yes, I'm a, I'm a Christian pastor. That's why I'm here. Talk to my pastor about marriage counseling. The second question we ask them is, do you believe in the word of God as the ultimate authority for marriage? And many of them say, oh, yes, we believe in the scriptures. We read the Bible. We come to church. They many times say yes. But it's the third question that gets them, get, gets them a little fumbled. It's a, it gets a little tricky. When you ask them, are you willing to obey what the Bible teaches? See, they know God. They, they, they read the scriptures. But the question is, are you willing to obey what the scripture says? Are you willing to live it out in your life? You see, this is the difference between a successful and unsuccessful marriage. In Luke chapter 4, verse 46, we read it. Jesus said, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do the things that I'm telling you? Isn't that reality in our society today? I believe that's reality not only for married people, that's reality for single people as well. We say, Lord, Lord, you are Lord, you are Lord of my life, but you're not willing to obey the word of God. See, friends, I came to tell you this morning that it's not enough just to hear and believe. We must be willing to practice and live out the word. Why is this important? Why am I speaking about this on Valentine's Day at Victory Outreach? Well, it's important because marriages face attack. And marriages come under fierce opposition. It's important because, let me say this to you, the devil hates marriage. God bless five of you. I said the devil hates marriage. And the devil hates family. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, that the enemy, he wants to do everything he can to come against your marriage, to come against your family, to put obstacles in your way. And it doesn't help when we put obstacles in our own way. I want to tell you something, married people. You're already under attack because you're married. It doesn't help us to go into a marriage with unresolved issues. You see, we've got to understand that strong marriages equal strong churches. That's my prayer this year. My prayer is that we'll build some strong marriages at Victory Outreach San Diego. I, I believe we've got some winning marriages here. I believe we've got some families here that are growing strong in the things of God. My, my vision is to begin to build strong marriages in the house of the Lord. Because strong marriages 
build strong churches. And strong churches, as my wife said earlier, build strong communities. And strong communities build strong nations. In my 20-year marriage this year, my wife and I will be celebrating 20 years of marriage. We just had our 20th Valentine's Day together. And she said, well, we've been, we had more Valentine's than that. I said, yeah, but I don't want to, you know, tell people we've been together 75 years because we've been together a long time. But we've been married 20 years, and, and we celebrated our 20th anniversary together. And many of those years have been good. Just as many of our married couples here this morning will tell you that their marriage, there's been those seasons of good times in your marriage. But you also recognize that in a marriage, you come up against certain opposition. There are certain things that begin to rise in your marriage that try to stop you from fulfilling your destiny. And my wife and I, even though we've had many good years and we've been very blessed by the Lord and we've experienced some great things in the things of God, we've also had many mighty and fierce storms. And many of you know the last two years have been very difficult in our life, but it hasn't only been those last two years. There were other years where it was difficult, other years where we faced personal challenges in our life. We lost a home at one time. We've been through some other things within our life. Marriage is challenging. But the good news about us is that, yes, we may not be through everything, but God is with us every step of the way, and he's given us strength day by day. And the same God that has given us strength in our marriage is the same God that will give you strength in your marriage. How many know God will get you through the storm? You see, the reason I believe that we are still standing after 19 years of marriage is because we determined in our heart that we were going to have a strong foundation in our marriage. That we were going to build our marriage on the rock. So here's the question. Is your marriage built on the rock or is your marriage on the rocks this morning? Let me say this to our singles. Is your life built on the rock or is your life on the rocks this morning? Come on, singles. You can say amen. Don't look at me like this. Say service isn't for you. Is your life on the rock or is your life on the rocks? Is your marriage built to survive the storm. Notice in the story that both houses experience the storm. And just because you come to church every Sunday doesn't mean you're not going to have storms. And just because you read your Bible doesn't mean you're not going to have storms. And just because you sing all the Christian songs, it doesn't mean you're going to have storms. But listen, friend, when the storm comes, you've got to be ready. You've got to be able to know that you are founded on the rock of God's word. Now, how can we build a lasting marriage? And this is where I want to kind of turn the tide a little bit and do a little bit of coaching. But I really believe this, is, is that if we're going to build lasting marriages, how many want to see lasting marriages in church? How many want to see more people making it in their marriage? How many are tired of seeing people break up? Oh, five of you. How many, how many are tired of seeing people break up? Huh? then I, I believe we need to debunk some myths about marriage. I, I, I believe this. I believe there's some wrong thinking about marriage. I believe there might even be some wrong thinking in this church this morning about marriage. Somebody say wrong thinking. I want to expose five myths about marriage. Number one, write this down. 
Marriage is about finding the right person. Somebody say false. A lot of times you hear people say, I'm looking for Mr. Right. I'm looking for Mrs. Right. You got some people that are looking for Mr. Right now or Mrs. Right now. They have no intention in doing the right thing. But on the most part, you see people and you hear people say, I'm looking for Mr. and Mrs. Right. And this is the first problem. This is the reason many marriages don't make it. This is the reason many young people, young marriages don't make it. Because getting married, my friend, is not about looking for the right one. It's about being the right one. How can you take care of someone else if you don't even know how to take care of yourself? Come on and clap. Help me. When someone asks me, they come up to me often, they say, Pastor, when is the right time to get married? I have a number of questions for them. Question number one is this. Are you striving for godliness in your life? Are you walking with God? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you have the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Secondly, I say, are you growing spiritually through accountability? Or are you a lone ranger in the house of the Lord? And nobody can tell you anything and nobody can advise you and everybody's advice is wrong and you can't find a leader that you agree with, but you want to get married in church? See, I'm just asking questions. The third thing I say is, are you, do you know your purpose? Do you know what God is doing in your life? Do you have a vision? Is there a purpose from God in your life? Are you called to the ministry? Are you called to build a business? Are you, what do you need a wife for if you don't know what God has called you to do? Come on, singles, help me preach this this morning. And here's my fourth question. Do you have a job? How do you spell love at VOSD? J-O-B. If you, don't, if you can't keep a job, how can you keep a wife? If you can't keep a job, how can you keep a husband? How can you keep children if you don't have the discipline? Come on and say amen for your pastor. Look at Jaber, ask him, do you got a job? So you're like, oh, they didn't talk back to you, did they? Here's what I believe, single people. Where am I? Where's team single at? Come on, where's team single at? We got a lot of them in this church. But here's what I believe. When you're striving to be the right person for God, that's when God's right person will find you. The Bible says that Adam was working in the garden. And then God looked down at Adam and says, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he, he put him to sleep and he gave him a wife named Eve. And that wife became his helpmate. So what is, what is it that we need to be striving to do as singles? Listen, we need to be striving towards godliness. We need to be growing through accountability. We need to be getting better every single day. We need to go get ourselves a job. Because if you don't have a job, you can't buy an engagement ring. 
Come on and say a good amen. See, I, I realize I've, come, I've become comfortable with the fact that I'm becoming a spiritual father to many. I really am. And, and it came to light on, on a Tuesday night when we had our marriage gathering there in Sarah Mesa with Pastor Berto and Arlene did such a wonderful job. Man, we laughed so much. It was just so much fun. But as I was in that room, and it was packed, there was about 100, 120 people in there, and I began to look out at many of the couples, I started to feel old. Because I had come to realize I had married most of those people in that room. I married them and them and them and them. I married a bunch of you in the front. And I started to feel old. Come on, somebody. But as a spiritual father, you care about your spiritual children in the same way you care about your natural children. It would be absurd. I mean, what would I do? Look at, look at me. You know me. I'm your pastor. You spend a lot of time with me. You know me as a man. What would I do if Zanel came up to me and says, Dad, I want to get married? You might not see me for a few weeks. This is the pastor's gun gone missing. He's missing up in here. I might go ski mask on somebody. Talk to me now. It wouldn't be appropriate. Why? Because she's too young. She doesn't know who she is in God. She's still struggling in many areas of her life. She doesn't have the security. She hasn't fully developed mentally, spiritually, or physically. But it's the same thing with our spiritual children. How could we allow a physical, natural teenager to get married, but yet we allow spiritual teenagers to get married? They're not ready in the things of God. They haven't developed in the things of God. And if you're one of those spiritual teenagers here today and you just dream about marriage all the night, you need to look in the mirror and slap yourself. And you're reading all those romance novels and going on Facebook, oh, I can't wait to, no, 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 get up in the mirror and give yourself a good smack around across the face or go to your parents and tell them, smack me in the face. You're not ready to get married. You still got a lot of growing to do this morning. I get the feeling you agree with me. <laughs> and why can I speak to you like that? Because I care about you. I care about your future. I want you to have a marriage that's lasting. I don't want you to have to struggle the way some of us had to struggle and go through some of the things that some of us had to go through. God has a great plan for your life. And baby, he's just getting started. Enjoy this time of being single. You're never going to look this good ever again. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Is this good preaching? Secondly, this one's getting a little heavier now. It'll get a little heavier, but I believe your heart's going to be touched. Second myth about marriage is that living together first is not the right idea. And this is not strange today. Even in the church, you have many people that come to the Lord who before their decision to serve God, they've made a choice to live together. I get it. I understand. They didn't have the counsel. They didn't have the Bible in their life. They didn't have a man, a man or woman of God speaking to them. But many people make this choice to live together before they make the decision of being married. 
But what I want to share with you today is that there are spiritual implications to that. Sometimes we do things, but we don't really think about the consequences of those decisions that we make. What are the spiritual implications when people live together before they get married? Many may think they're starting off right, but are they really? Studies show that amongst couples who made the choice to live together before marriage, there was an increased probability for divorce and weaker communication skills. There was a higher rate for domestic violence. Not to mention an increased probability for one to be unfaithful to their partner while they're living together. These are studies. These are studies that even the world recognizes that it's better to wait and do things the right way. Now, I'm not saying if you've done those things and you've come to church and made those decisions, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that you can't get right, and I'm not saying that you can't make things right, and I'm not saying that you can't bring God into the center of your home. I, I talked to a couple in our church just re recently, and they said, Pastor, you know, we came to this church living together. We came to this church with kids. We came to this church with a whole history and a whole past. But you know what? God's been speaking to us since we've been coming to church, and we're getting married this month, and we're bringing God to the center of our relationship, and we're believing God for great blessings in our family. Come on and give God a praise for that. But understand me when I tell you that there are always spiritual implications to our decisions. In another study, amongst those who had been living together before marriage, there was a 39% increase of probability of infidelity once the couple was actually married. That they were living together before they got married. Then they got married and then adultery came in. You see how there are implications to the decisions we make? Absolutely. Why does this happen? When a couple chooses to live together or to run away to get married, there are two important things that are missing. Number one, there's no examination period. I believe that before you get married, there should be a season of dating. And when I say season, I'm not talking about three weeks. I believe, I'll just throw this out there, I believe you should be dating at least a year. Some of you, two years. Some of you got so much stuff, five years. My wife and I, we, we dated for about a year and a half, two years before we actually got married. And, and I'll tell you, man, when we got married, we were ready. We knew we were ready. There was an urgency. We needed to get married. Come on, somebody. But we chose to do things right. We chose to walk in accountability. We chose to take an examination of ourselves and to take an examination of each other. Say this with me. Say, there needs to be an examination. Why should one be faithful to another if there's no price to be paid if they're not? Why should one stay faithful in a relationship if there's no consequence for being unfaithful? You know what they say, why buy the cow when you're getting the milk for free? Is that too hard for a Sunday? I'm trying to school some of you. I'm trying to school some of you. We've got 
to examine ourselves. We've got to examine the person that we're seeking to marry. Studies show that before a married person cheats, they take a deep calculation of the process they endured before the marriage. The shorter the process, the easier the decision to cheat. Do you see why we need God? Do you see why we need the word of God in our life? Do you see why we need the Holy Spirit in our life? Can I hear a good amen? The second thing that's missing, I'm moving faster, is not only no examination period, but there's a lack of counsel. The Bible says that there's safety in a multitude of counsel. I want to tell you that getting married is not a legal decision, it's a spiritual decision. Getting married is not some business deal. Getting married is between you and your spouse and a holy God. Marriage was God's idea, not the government's idea. God created marriage. God instituted marriage. And I want to tell you something. Marriage is good. But even, friends, when marriage is good, for the best marriage, there's still problems. When you look over at that person you're married to and you know that you would give it all for them and you, you know, you'd rather live unhappy in their world than live happy in your own. You are willing to do whatever it takes. You love them so much. There's still challenges amongst those who are in a love affair with each other and with God. So imagine when we don't get the counsel that we need. What is a wedding? Are you learning anything today? What is a wedding? Yes, a wedding is a holy moment, and it's a time where you come together and made one in the eyes of God and the eyes of man. But let me tell you what a wedding is. What a wedding is to the church, it's a celebration of accountability. It's a celebration of counsel. People who don't receive counsel often have small, little, private weddings. Am I preaching all right? But I want to tell you something for some of you young people. You're going to have an enormous wedding. You're going to have a big wedding. You're going to have the wedding of a princess and a prince. Come on, somebody. Why? Because you're going to let counsel come into your relationship. What's the third myth about marriage? This is okay. It's getting quieter in here right now. Number three, it's okay for partners to be different. You know why it's quiet? Because I'm busting some myths in your life. Like I always, I always was taught that opposites attract. And it's true. What makes a, a, a marriage exciting and a relationship exciting is that there's an opposite attract component to your relationship. The person you're married to or you're dating, they bring something exciting because they're different. Someone say they're different. But let me tell you something about being different. It's true that what makes a relationship exciting are the differences that each person brings to a relationship. But in reality, watch this, there are differences that bring joy and there are differences that bring pain and create big problems. It's a myth. Say it's a myth. The goal of marriage is not for you to stay different your whole life. The goal of marriage is that two would become one. Oops. I'll tell you, man, it's real. Some of my married people say it's real. 
tonight I'm going to be on a plane flying 12 hours to Holland. And I was all excited like the two days ago, three days ago. I was like, all right, I'm going to go to Europe. Great. Last night I said, I don't want to go. You know why? Because Bay is not going with me. Because we're one. And I'm going to feel lonely. Pray for me, people of God. The longer you've been married, the more closer you come together. The more you become the same, the more you finish each other's senses. Come on, somebody. She's still different. I'm still different. But we're one. And we must understand that although couples differ, differ in personality, in passions, in giftings, and in character, they should agree when it comes to belief and purpose. The Bible says not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Here's my question. As a marriage, are you both willing to build your house on the right foundation? Have you had that talk? Have you made that decision? Have you developed some non-negotiables in your marriage? Are there some things in your family that are non-negotiable? We don't negotiate this stuff. We go to church on Sunday. We don't negotiate this stuff. We pray as a family. We don't negotiate this stuff. We tithe and we give to God and we serve in the things of God. And our children, they don't get a choice. They go to church with us. They go to our church, not their own church. They are non-negotiables. Have you set that standard? Have you written those things on the tablet of your heart today? It's so sad when families and marriages haven't established that. When my wife and I were in the hospital with charisma, what a, what a, what a dark time. What a, what a horrible time. What a, a time of fear and great pain. And we were there 140 days. So as you can imagine, we were there a long time. We saw many people come in and come out. We were there when people were diagnosed and when people were cured. We were there when people came in for visits and left. And we saw so much on that floor in those 140 days that we were there. But one of the most heartbreaking things I ever saw, my wife and I saw, was a couple who was fighting in the lobby on the second floor. And the wife was in tears and the husband was in tears. And the reason they were in tears is because their daughter had been diagnosed. And what the wife had done is she brought in a shaman into the room with incest and feathers and all kinds of occultic things. And she started to let him do all kinds of things in that room. And the husband was furious. He pulled her out of that room and took her into the lobby. And he began to tell her, I don't agree with what you believe. I am a Christian. I was raised a Christian. And God is our healer, not an Indian doctor, not a witch doctor. And she began to cry because she says, this is what I believe. I 
believe in this. This is what I was raised in. This is how I grew up. This is what gives me power. This is what I'm believing for. He says, well, I don't agree with you. And they were arguing loudly, fiercely fighting in the lobby because they didn't know the God, Jehovah God. They hadn't come into agreement about who God was going to be in their marriage. And I want to tell you something, my friend. You better get ready because when tough times come, you better know the God you serve. You better be able to run to the God you serve. Sometimes we think oh, it's no big deal if I date someone who doesn't come to church and it's no big deal. If you, it may not be a big deal now, but wait till tough times hit your life. Yeah, it's not a big deal now, but you didn't know that when tough times come, they end up at the strip club. Or they end up at the casino. Or they end up at their mother's house. Can I preach to you this morning? Is this too heavy for you this morning? You've got to be in agreement. You've got to be one. You've got to make that commitment. Can I hear an amen? Come on, give God a praise. You got to take a stand as a married couple and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we have non-negotiables in our home. As for me and my house, our children will serve in the things of God. As for me and my house, the word of God is our foundation and our ultimate rule of authority. Come on, somebody. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then you've got to take a stand on your purpose as well. What's the fourth myth that I'm coming to a close? Did you guys get something this morning? I believe there's going to be healing in this service. The fourth myth is that my partner's history doesn't matter. I'm going there today, aren't I? Oh, my partner's history doesn't matter. Oh, it's all under the blood. When I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. And it's true. You have been forgiven. But understand. That sin leaves lingering effects. And there's a lot of people, like Pastor Tony said on that Wednesday night, that are bringing leavened bread into unleavened territory. Bringing things into a relationship that you have no business bringing in. Why? Because you have not let God heal you of your past. I came to tell you this morning, a person's past does matter. How many sexual partners they have had does matter. How many marriages they've been in does matter. Their history matters. Yes, God doesn't see it. But there are still lingering effects in somebody's life when they've lived a life of sin. And when a person gets into a relationship with unresolved issues from their past, here's what happens. They expect their partner to be their healer. They come in with all kinds of stuff and say to their partner, here, heal this for me. And then the person says, I didn't know you had all that stuff. Talk to me, somebody. If I had known you had all that, I wouldn't have walked down the aisle with you. If I had known that you had all that stuff going on in your life, I might not have said I do. I might have said I don't. Talk to me, church. You've got to think about somebody's past before you marry them. And if you're in a marriage this morning where there are issues of the past beginning to rise up, 
You need to understand that we serve a God that can heal those issues. You need to understand, my friend, that your spouse, in every case, almost never helps you heal. The only one that can help you heal is when you go to your maker and you spend time with God and you understand that he's a God that not only can heal your body, but he's a God that can heal your emotions and he can heal the damage of your past. I believe there's some people here this morning that if your marriage is going to make it, you need a healing in your life. You need to take some good time and separate unto God and say, God, I'm tired of fighting over these things and I'm tired of carrying this anger and I'm tired of carrying this resentment and I'm tired of carrying this fear and I'm tired of carrying this pride and I'm ready to heal and I'm ready to break again. I'm ready to let the Holy Spirit and the oil of heaven be poured all over my life so I could be the person that you've called me to be, not only for myself, but for those, but for those I love. There's a better you inside of you. I'll say it again. There's a better you inside of you, and I want to bring them out this morning so that your marriage can make it. Can I hear a good amen? You see, if, you, if we go into a relationship needing someone, we've already failed. We should go into a marriage seeking to be a blessing. Say, Pastor, what have you learned after 20 years of marriage? I mean, I've learned many things, but this one valuable lesson I've learned is that marriage is ministry. Marriage is all about serving one another, loving one another, taking care of one another, nurturing one another. You may not feel good, but if you're married, you've got to step out of how you feel, and you've got to love that person that God has called you to serve as your spouse. Marriage cannot be driven by selfishness. It only makes it through selflessness. And here's what I've learned as I get ready to close. Two halves don't make a whole. I believe that many marriages don't make it because we walk in as half a person, half a man, and the other half is not amazing. Come on, somebody. You're not half man and half amazing. You're just half a man. You're just a boy with a mustache. You're just a boy with a beard. And half a woman. You know what God wants to do this Valentine's? You know what God wants to do in 2016? He wants to make us whole. How much more powerful would we be if we had two holes working? together. Come on and give God a praise as they come to the keyboard. Come on and give him praise. Come on, did you receive it today? Give him a big, big praise this morning. As I close this morning, I believe that God wants to bring healing. But where does the healing come in the marriage? Does it come to us together? Well, let me tell you, I can't heal my spouse until I first experience healing for myself. There's some people here this morning that quite possibly, you say, you know, Pastor, I've had challenges in my relationships, challenges in my marriage. You know, every relationship I've been in has been a learning experience. But you know what I really believe is that every time you point the finger, you have three fingers pointing back at you.
We've got to be honest this morning. How many want to see more marriages make it? How many want to see more families making it? The fifth myth is this, and I want to, if you're taking notes, did you get something on this? The fifth, fifth myth is it's healthy to fight. That's a myth. You hear it all the time. It's healthy to fight. It's healthy to fight. It's healthy to fight. I don't care if the kids hear me. It's healthy. Well, let me tell you about fighting. Everyone fights. Every, every family fights. Every marriage fights, right? But the question is, what are you fighting about? And how are you fighting? If the cops have to show up to your house, chances are you're not fighting correctly. If you're fighting over every nook and cranny and every issue and nothing slides in your marriage, you're not fighting about the right thing. I believe that if we're going to have marriages that make it, we shouldn't fight to win. We should fight to resolve the issues that are holding us back from our destiny. Those of you who love to fight to win, those of you who like to keep score, you can win, but you're going to be lonely. You're a lonely winner. You're going to be all by yourself. Hey, winner, over there by yourself in the room watching TV. Hey, you're a winner, you. You winner, you. Look at you over there by yourself, all bad with your ribbon, all by yourself. We're going to go eat with the kids. But you stay up there with your, with your winner's ribbon. You winner, you, you. You're the best. Just stay up there with your TV show. Don't fight to win. Fight to fix the problem. Fight to resolve the issue so that joy can return to our home. So that love can return to our home. So that peace can return to our home. So that the anointing of God. Oh, come on, somebody. So that the anointing of God could be in our home. How many could say amen to that? I want you to stand. On this Valentine's Day, this is the word God gave me. That's all I know. 